God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Well, good morning, Cross United. So good to see you this morning. First of all, I want to say a big happy Mother's Day to the moms. Um, that we are just so grateful for you and for the way you love your kids, the way you love your family. And I really hope that in the midst of everything that your family finds a way to make this a very special day for you because you definitely deserve it. For all of us, I want to just welcome you again to the, the patio. I'm uh, not uh, in favor of preaching to a camera and for you to be watching this on a screen instead of being together in person. But here we are yet again. I'm grateful for this technology. I'm grateful for our Zoom calls, our text email chains, um, for the ways that we're able to stay connected, especially this weekly message that you're either watching or listening to. And wherever you are, I want to just invite you and encourage you to find your Bible, whether that's on a screen or a paper copy and go to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. This morning we're going to be uh, looking at John 8, 31 through 59, and the title of this message is Tribal Challenge. You know, this show Survivor, maybe like me, you've watched at least one season of Survivor. It's had 40 seasons. It's been on for 20 years, almost 600 episodes, one of the most popular, longest running TV shows of all time. And if you've watched it, you know how it goes. But if you haven't, basically, it's this group of people. They're put in a remote location, uh, kind of left to fend for themselves. And they're put into whether it's like a jungle island or the 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 plains of Africa or wherever it may be. They're, they're set there and they're put into these teams called tribes. And the goal of the, the game is to survive and not get voted off of the game and to win a financial prize. And so these teams and these tribes, they, they work together as teams and they team up on one another. There's alliances and there, there's all this politicking that happens. If you watched it, you know, you know that. You get to know the characters and the people. You feel like almost like you get to know, know them because you see them so, you know, so, so raw there. And, and one of the most important parts of the Survivor uh, game show, the reality game show, is the, the, the series of challenges, whether it's an individual challenge or what they call a tribal challenge. And these challenges, they can be for rewards, they can be for, you know, something like a special meal or a getaway or even seeing your family where you've been, you know, set off away from them for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, but the most important challenges are the immunity challenges because the way the game goes is that everyone gathers periodically at these convenings, these gatherings called tribal councils. And at a tribal council, everyone votes on the person that's going to get voted out of the game or voted off of the island for that week. And so if you win immunity, whether it's your team or you individually, 
you are immune from getting voted out for that week. Well, the stakes of those challenges, obviously that stake is, you know, a lot of money and that, that those stakes are, are, you know, big stakes. But what we're going to see this morning in the text of scripture are the stakes of an even greater set of challenges and this even greater set of stakes in the conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders in the temple. He's been in the temple now for several uh, chapters, for several weeks. We've been looking at Jesus in the temple, talking to these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders. And, and what we've seen is he said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And then in light of that, there's these conversations that happen culminating in chapter 8, verse 30, where it says that many who were there believed in him. Many who were there believed in him. And so this is the context where we find ourselves in John 8, 31 through 59, as, as this series of conversations culminates in this final set of challenges between Jesus, Jesus and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish believers, those who had heard him and had taken that first step of faith. And in this passage, we're going to encounter stakes that are much higher than a game show, a financial reward. We're going to encounter stakes that are life and death, eternal stakes. These challenges are here are both individual challenges and collective. Jesus is challenging the individuals who are listening to him and he's challenging the group who is listening to them, listening to him. They're individual challenges and they are tribal challenges. The question is how will each person respond to Jesus? And the question is how will the community respond to Jesus? In the same way, I think this passage presents us with a set of challenges, both individual challenges, how will we, how will I, how will you respond to Jesus, and also a tribal community challenge. How will we as a church, Cross United Church, respond to Jesus? And if we had to summarize all of these seven challenges in a single statement, this is what it would be. Will you, will I, will we stay with Jesus for the long haul? Will we stay with Jesus for the long haul? Because what we're going to see, as I said, is these Jews who started off so well in John 8.30, it says he was saying these things, many believed in him. We're going to see that they aren't going to stand up to the challenge. This series of challenges is going to expose the fact that their faith was not true faith. John the Apostle, who wrote this biography of Jesus we call the Gospel of John, or just the the book of John, he's already clued us in that there is a type of faith that is not real. There's a type of faith that withers and it dies. There's a type of faith that's superficial. It's false at the end of the day. It's not true faith. We see this in John 2, 23 through 25. It says, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them because he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man for he knew what was in man. So it's saying there, there's superficial faith that, that's, that has an initial burst of excitement and belief but doesn't stay with Jesus for the long haul. So I wonder this morning if your faith is up to the challenge. This series of challenges culminating in this final challenge, will we stay with Jesus for the long haul? So what we're going to do is we're just going to go through, it's going to be pretty quick, uh, just 
going through this series of challenges, this conversation that Jesus is having with these Jewish leaders. We're going to go through it kind of in an overview way, and then what we may do in the in the next weeks is go into certain sections uh, a little bit more deeply. There's so much here. So let's get the big picture this week, and we'll go from there. Before we go any further, I just want to invite you to pray with me as we ask for God's help. Lord, this is your word, and I just pray you would speak to your people in this moment through this this text, through this passage, that you would be at each place, each person watching on a screen or listening in earbuds or or watching where we're listening on you know to the podcast, wherever they may be, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them through your word this morning and that their faith would be real and stand up to the challenge. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First challenge, verses eight, chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, the challenge of authenticity. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The, the, what, what marks a Christian is persevering faith. Not initial faith, but for persevering faith. The question here is, are you the real deal? If you continue in my word, the, the word there actually is remain, which is an important word, sometimes translated abide. Will you stick with it? Will you remain in me, in my word for the long haul? Will you be consistent? Will you be real? There's a great leadership book called The Leadership Challenge uh, that was written uh, quite a while ago. But in that, the, the, the price of the book is, is, is worth just the one insight they have. That they say that the mark of a true leader is what they call DWYZYWID. It's an acronym. DWYZYWID. Do what you say you will do. To be consistent. To be authentic. To be real. One writer says, The conditional response of the true disciple is to remain, a central term in the gospel. The term communicates a sense of presence, a permanent residing in a specific location. Just as the Father remains in the Son and the Spirit remains upon Jesus, so also must believers remain in the Son and He in them. The being of the believer is determined and regulated by Jesus. This is an intimate relationship. To remain in Jesus' word is ultimately to remain in the word, capital W. In this sense, the word is not merely the message of Jesus, but his person and work. Will you remain in the word of Jesus? Will you remain in Jesus? Will you stick with Jesus? Will your faith be proven real and authentic? Notice, though, what the Jews said. You will be, Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will be free. And the Jews say, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? This brings us to the second challenge, the challenge of slavery. Are you a slave still to yourself? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your Father. Notice he says, a slave doesn't remain in the house, but a son remains forever. This is an allusion to the story of Hagar, Ishmael, 
and Rebecca, uh, Sarah and Isaac. So, so Abraham had this son by the, the, the slave woman Hagar who gets expelled, Ishmael, and not the chosen son, and then has the promised son Isaac through his wife Sarah. And the true son, we see the true son is the son, God the son, Jesus Christ. And so if we want to remain in the household of God and in freedom, we have to remain in the son. But so many of us are a slave to ourselves. We're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to our desires. We're enslaved to our addictions. Are you still a slave to yourself? D.A. Carson says, True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. It is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. This is the greatest gift God can give you, to want to do what you ought to do. Are you a slave? The challenge of slavery. And this is how the Jews respond in verse 39. Our fathers, Abraham. Our fathers, Abraham. This brings up the third challenge, the challenge of legacy. Verses 39 through 41. This is the question of, of imitation. Who, who are you imitating? What, how are you relating to your past, whether for good or for bad? Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You're doing what your father does. So he's, Jesus is saying that, that you think that you think you're a child of Abraham, but your legacy is actually in line with another father. That your true legacy is not your ethnic heritage. Your true legacy is something else. Because, you see, being a child of Abraham was never ultimately about physical descent. If so, Ishmael would have been the chosen son, but he wasn't. Being a child of Abraham was about being chosen and exercising faith. This was the great work of Abraham. Thomas Aquinas said that the great work of Abraham was faith, not in the sense that it was something he earned, but it was something that he did. Are you a child of Abraham in the sense that you are a person of faith in Christ? It's not enough to be a physical descendant of Abraham. Scripture says that the true Israel, the true children of Abraham, are those who are of faith like Abraham's faith. And here, these people fell short and they couldn't meet the challenge of their own legacy and they respond to him there in uh, John 8 41 and they say we weren't born of sexual immorality probably alluding to Jesus's questionable past at least from their perspective he said they said we have one father God so so Abraham was our physical father but our spiritual father is God. And this brings up the challenge number four of paternity, the challenge of paternity. And this is the question, maybe you can ask it this way, who are you the spitting image of in the way that you live? Jesus said to them, John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. They're claiming the paternity of Abraham. They're claiming the paternity of God himself because God had chosen them as his his special possession, his covenant people. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Your behavior betrays who your father really is. In the way that you act, you're like the devil. They weren't literally children of the devil, but they were, in terms of their behavior, more like the devil than like the Lord or like Abraham. How did the devil, how was the devil a murderer? Well, he said that he came to man, he paint, planted an evil word, and he killed him. To be a true child of God is not about your physical ethnic heritage, Jesus is telling them. It's about what you love. It's about what you believe. Thomas Aquinas said, the sign of becoming a child of God is one's interior affections or, 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 or love. For we, were, we become children of God by sharing in the Holy Spirit who has been poured out into our hearts. The spirit of love. Therefore, the special sign of being God's child is love. You see, Satan is the father of lies. God is the father of love. And these, these people had not demonstrated true lineage from God. The Jews respond there in verse 48. Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? So they accuse him now of insanity. This is the fifth challenge, the challenge of insanity. John 8, 49 through 53, the challenge of insanity. Now notice, Jesus doesn't answer the accusation of being a Samaritan. It's the only time in the Bible where we, in the Gospels, where we see this accusation brought against Jesus. And we we don't know exactly why they say it. It could be that because Samaritans only observe part of what the Jews considered to be all of the law, that they said Jesus was breaking the law. One writer says that the reason Jesus doesn't answer the charge of being a Samaritan is that he had come for the salvation of all and made himself all things to all men, even more so than Paul, so that he might win all. Remember his conversation in John 4 with the Samaritan woman. He doesn't answer the challenge of being a Samaritan because in some sense, Jesus belongs to every people and every nation. But he answers the challenges of insanity, which being demon-possessed was basically a charge of either heresy or insanity. And this raises the question, challenge five, the challenge of insanity. Who do you believe Jesus actually is? Jesus answered, John 8, 49, I don't have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In contrast, one writer says to the Samaritan woman who assumes that Jesus can't be greater than Jacob, the father of the people, but ultimately embraces him as the promised one. Jesus' dialogue partners here become increasingly hostile. Jesus says, if you want to honor my father, who you say is your, my God, your father is my father. You say God is your father. He's actually my father. He's my true father. I am the eternal son. You are an adopted son. And I know him, and he honors me. And if you dishonor me, you dishonor him. If you loved him, you would love me. You say that I'm crazy. No, you're crazy. 
The Jews respond, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, uh, John 8, 52, and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? Challenge of glory. What is Jesus worth to you? Challenge number six, the challenge of glory. Look what Jesus says in John 8, 54. If I glorify myself, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My Father about whom you say, He is our God. He is the one who glorifies me. You don't know Him, but I know Him. If I were to say I don't know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is challenging them. He says, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing, but my Father glorifies me. But, the, but what's radically shown in the Gospel of John is that the glory of the eternal Son, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who came, became a human being, was conceived in the womb of Mary the Virgin, was born without sin, unlike every other person who's ever lived, who lived a sinless life, always obeying God, never disobeying God, never thinking something he shouldn't think, saying something he shouldn't say, even feeling something he shouldn't feel. And he lived a sinless, perfect life. And he went to the cross. And in that moment, D.A. Carson says, the nature of his glorification is not the public display some might have appreciated, but the ignominy, the infamy of the cross and consequent return of the, to glory of the Son who had, who had enjoyed with his Father before the world began. The glory of Christ is in the cross. God glorifies his Son. The Father glorifies the Son by raising him up, the symbol of shame and failure in the eyes of the world. Foolishness to Greeks, stumbling to the Jews, Christ crucified. But for those who are being saved, Paul says, we mentioned last week, the power of God. This is where we see the glory of Christ in his outstretched arms on the cross, bearing our sin. What Abraham saw and he rejoiced because Abraham, that's how Abraham was saved. By his faith in the promises of God culminating in the cross. That's how Moses was saved. That's how David was saved. That's how Isaiah was saved. That's how the prophets were saved. Anyone who has ever been saved was saved only in the cross where he bore our sins in his body on the tree. And if God loves you enough to send and glorify his son in that way, you can trust him with everything else. The Jews respond in verse 57. You aren't 50 years old yet, and yet you've seen Abraham? Um, some, some scholars say that um, 50 was considered the ideal age of a ruler, old enough to be wise, not too old, you know, that he couldn't get the job done. So they're saying, basically they're saying Jesus is too young to even be a human ruler. Now he's claiming to be ancient beyond their imagination. And this raises finally, number seven, the challenge of divinity. And this is the question. Do you believe that Jesus is God the Son? A lot of people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, 
But what they don't understand when they say that is that means that he is God the Son, that he is fully God with the Father in the eternal being of Trinity. Jesus said to them, I truly, t- I t- truly I tell you, John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Now, actually, this should be translated, before Abraham became, I am. We talked throughout the Gospel of John. There's this contrast in John between the word become and the word be. The Greek word become is ginomai, and the Greek word be is, is ami. That, that there's a fundamental difference. There's a basic difference, an unbridgeable gap between becoming and being. Only God has been. All other things, all creation is becoming. It started at some point. It changes. You're not the same exact person you were five years ago or when you were, when you were a kid. And you're going to be different five years from now. There's going to be different, scientists say our cells replace themselves constantly. But God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And notice finally how the Jews respond to this in verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to take him out as you would someone who was a false prophet or a heretic, and they were going to stone him to death, execute him. But Jesus was hidden, and he went out of the temple because his time hadn't come yet. We've talked about this just by way that you know, just a reminder that you are invincible until God's time for you has come. So don't live in fear. These folks, they started out so well. They heard the word and they believed, but their faith was ultimately superficial. Their faith was false and it withered. Augustine said, as a man, he fled from the stones, but woe to those from whose stony hearts God fled. And this is the question. Father, I just pray that our faith would stand up to the challenge and we would be with Jesus in his name. Amen. God designed us for life an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ. When we're brought together in authentic community. When we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.